it really is kind of looking at, at nutrition on this micro scale and like a meal by meal, day by day basis with yes, kind of that, that bigger macro scale picture of, okay, yes, I'm an endurance athlete. So my overarching needs are this, but then still kind of fine tuning it to that meal by meal, day by day approach where you are really thinking about, okay, like what, what is the goal of this session? Am I looking for fitness adaptation, increased lactate threshold or VO2 max? Is it supposed to be a low intensity kind of fat burning session? You know, what, what is the goal of the session and how should I kind of feed that session to help me adapt in that way? Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, turned performance coach to founder CEOs, and avid Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and obstacle course race athlete. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Heidi Strickler. Heidi is a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics, registered dietitian nutritionist, and metabolic efficiency training specialist with a master's degree in sports nutrition from Liverpool John Moores University in England. Heidi specializes in nutrition for endurance athletes, the female athlete, and female physiology, and plant-based nutrition. She has become a notable and respected expert in these areas, which has opened up opportunities to work with athletes worldwide, including both elite, Olympic level, and recreational. Heidi also teaches sports and exercise nutrition at her alma mater, Seattle Pacific University. Heidi is an avid, passionate, and competitive athlete and outdoors enthusiast as well. Today, she competes in trail running, triathlon, cycle cross racing, and snowshoe racing for the U.S. Women's National Team. Her favorite foods include peanut butter, strong coffee, good Mexican, and the darkest chocolate she can get. In this interview, we get into her upbringing and love for the mountains, what sparked her interest in sports nutrition, the biggest misconceptions around sports nutrition, and common nutrition mistakes she sees athletes make, and her thoughts on diets, supplements, and plant-based eating. And so, without further ado, my interview with Heidi Strickler. So how was the whole... COVID-19 situation where where you are in Seattle and the surrounding area? It's, I mean, obviously, you know, we were kind of one of the, the first hotbeds, um, so kind of a couple weeks ahead of the rest of the country. Um, and I mean, it was, I mean, pretty intense for a bit in terms of just, you know, the initial panic, uh, you know, grocery store shelves were, you know, completely depleted and any type of, you know, ordering anything online, even like Amazon, Amazon Prime was like, you know, wait times were, you know, delivery in May and, uh, right. you know, the, th- the city shut down pretty quickly. Uh, but, and I mean, now we are actually starting to, to open up. Um, we, this is the first week in essentially our governor kind of has a, a four phased plan uh, and he did push the stay at home order back to May 31st but is did open some of the parks so up until uh, up until today actually uh, pretty much all of the the city state county run parks have been closed uh, like the trails have been uh, inaccessible and so uh, so yeah it, it was it was pretty pretty intense for for definitely I would say you know all of April 
um, mm -hmm. and now things are starting to open up a little bit, but, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, they talk about the second wave, and I wonder if, you know, yeah. when it's, when it's going to hit, how hard it's going to hit, what that's going to look like, and also, you know, being in Seattle, we, uh, we're like little mole rats where, you know, our winters are pretty gloomy, and then as soon as the sun comes out in the spring, it's just, you can't find a, a bare patch of grass, uh, just because everybody comes out. And mm -hmm. so I do wonder with this weekend, we're supposed to have weather in the 80s and with them oh, opening wow. up the, the trails, I just don't know if that's smart. You know, they're telling people mm -hmm. still be, you know, physically, you know, distancing, but I just don't, on such a nice weekend with the first time the, you know, any trails have been open in two months, I don't know. I don't know what that's gonna look like. So we'll see what the weekend brings. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Is it, does it usually get to around 80? this time of year I don't, oh, no this no. is very very out of the norm for seattle this time of year um mm -hmm. usually in may you know we'll see 60s uh you know a couple days in the 70s but it's it's pretty rare uh we don't really hit 80s until the middle of the summer and even that you know we don't get a ton of days in in the 80s anyway um you know seattle's a very moderate climate so most of our summer is about 70 degrees mm -hmm. um which is great for training uh, in terms of, you know you can pretty much train any time of day uh, versus when i grew up in utah and it was you know you had to get out in the morning otherwise you're gonna hit 100 degrees by like 10 a.m uh right so so yeah no the the 80 degrees we were supposed to see this weekend is definitely not the norm for this time of the year huh interesting so how what have you been doing to kind of i guess stay fit while also staying away from everyone <laughs> yeah well i uh you know having to all of a sudden shift to the city i had had a couple ultras that i was supposed to race in april and so you know all of a sudden was was stuck running in the city um and uh actually ended up with a little bit of an injury i think because i went from you know 100 percent of my miles being on the trails to still high mileage but pretty much 100% pavement uh, ended up with a bit of a lower leg uh, injury and so mm -hmm. have been kind of using this this time as I'm encouraging a lot of my clients to do like instead of you know being frustrated or like overwhelmed or you know feeling out of control with the fact that you can't be training as you would normally be or comparing you know a couple months ago to now and then getting discouraged it's just more an opportunity to focus on my weaknesses and the things that I don't necessarily take time to focus on when I can be out on the trails every day. And so I've been, you know, really hitting, uh, I've got a little gym set up in my, uh, in my garage. And so have been really focusing on like upper body strength and some good glute and core work and hopping on my spin bike, um, doing some, I've got a, a punching bag. And so doing some high intensity, like boxing sessions and, Mm -hmm. uh, just getting some of that kind of top end high intensity fitness that I don't necessarily do, uh, in my normal training and, um, kind of yeah, working on some of those, those weaknesses. So that's been my, uh, my focus for, for the most part. And it's, uh, it's, you know, and in a time when I would much rather be running trails and running roads, I figure, you know, it's not a bad time to, to take time to focus on that. Cause I right. can't be doing the kind of running that, that really lights me up anyway. So um, so yeah, trying to find the, the silver lining. Right. Yeah. Not the, not the end of the world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good lesson in patience as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, 
let's let's go back to the, the beginning here. Um, how your kind of love of the mountains originated. So, I read that you grew up in the mountains uh, in Utah, yeah. right? Yep, correct. What was it? What was it like to spend your childhood in that sort of an environment? Um, I mean, it definitely you know molded who I am now. You know, a hundred percent. I don't I don't question that. I don't think I really realized how much uh, the mountains were really a part of kind of my heart and soul and well-being until I moved away from them for the first time. And I remember the first time coming back and seeing them and just being like blown away at how big they were because, you know, they were literally my backyard growing up. And uh, even though I didn't start running until college, you know, we were always in the mountains as a family, whether it was hiking or snowshoeing or picnicking and we were camping and backpacking all the time. And uh, I just had this deep rooted love for for the outdoors and the mountains and um in the times in my life as an adult when i've i've lived away from them i just feel like a part of me is missing um Mm -hmm. you know it brings me to tears just you know thinking about it and it's just they yeah they hold this very powerful place in in my life um and i think too you know i also grew up in environment a very environmentally friendly household you know being in utah we didn't you know a little bit of you know, water shortage. And my father was, you know, a very, very big environmental activist. And so also having that kind of in my upbringing has been really impactful. Uh, and I've kind of learned that as, as an adult, I need to have that balance. So even though I live in the city, uh, I am lucky enough that my job is flexible. And so I can, you know, when, when we're not quarantined to, you know, stay at home, I can get into the, the mountains just outside of Seattle on a regular basis. And, it just lights me up. You know, there's nowhere that I'm happier uh, when I'm, you know, flying, uh, flying through the, the trails in the mountains. And um, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a special place for me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So when you, I guess, maybe like first step into like the big city, um, what is the, the first thing that you kind of miss, miss most? Is it the, the, sur- like the serenity, the peacefulness? Is it being around nature? Kind of what is that first thing that that kind of hits you when you step into the big city? I think, I mean, when I kind of, yeah, I I guess kind of from two directions, like when I think about the big city, I think of, and what turns me off about it, it's, it's loud, it's bustly, there's, um, you know, it might smell a bit dirty, um, feels Mm -hmm. kind of confined, um, and, structured and, and rigid there's you know people whereas when I think about what what it is that really really makes me happy about the mountains is I and it took me a while to, to figure this out but I feel just this unbelievable sense of freedom and elation like I feel like a little kid on a playground like it's just this giant like untapped you know adventure waiting to happen with infinite possibilities and yeah just this this sense of kind of freedom and um movement and uh definitely some part of it is just like the the beauty of it the the bigness of it that makes me feel very like vulnerable um Mm -hmm. but then at the same time like also very you know strong and powerful as i as i'm out there and um so yeah, it's just it's hard it's hard to put words on. Uh, but yeah. 
And, you know, there are times where I really, really need that alone time in the mountains. And so I might do a backpacking trip by myself or, you know, getting out for solo trail runs. But I also love sharing that with with friends. Um, you know, my you know, I, I've got a really great crew of trail running friends here and here in Seattle. And, uh, you know, if I if I go back home and get a good trail run with a friend or, you know, my husband and my dog and I will do hiking and, and backpacking. And uh, so. Yeah, I kind of, I, I like a little balance of both in terms of having that solo time um, as, as well as sharing it with you know, those that I love and kind of having that sense of community in the mountains as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. And so was, was eating healthy, and it, it sounds like it was something that I guess you concerned yourself a lot with a lot growing up or like part of your family? Actually, no. Uh, oh, no? Okay. We, no, yeah. Uh, we, I mean, my... We didn't eat unhealthy per se, um, but just a very average, you know, like growing up, cereal, breakfast was like, you know, breakfast cereal, lunch was school lunch or like a sandwich and, mm-hmm. you know, dinner was always, uh, you know, meat generally and then like we did, you know, spaghetti and tacos and enchiladas and beef stroganoff and uh, would grill during the summertime, chicken or fish or steak. Um, so very average. You know, I, I do now that I am a, a dietitian, I I have a lot of respect for my parents in terms of how they raised me around food in terms of like, you know, there was always a sugared cereal in the house, but I couldn't have it for breakfast. You know, it could be dessert. Um, you know, we my dad and I would have, you know, ice cream and mom's homemade cookies most nights for dessert. Um, so it's not like sugar, like sugary sweet food wasn't was never banned. Um, but there was also an emphasis on you know, trying new foods and, and, you know, eating a a good balance. Uh, so I, I feel very lucky to have grown up with, uh, the food environment that I did because especially now Mm -hmm. with the work that I do, I've seen quite the antithesis in a lot of different extremes. Um, so I really didn't, you know, and when I was, when I could start cooking food for myself, it was, I lived on a diet of like refried bean and cheese burritos, grilled cheese sandwiches, frozen bagel bites, like, Mm -hmm. you know, frozen waffles, things that were, you know, very easy to eat um but I didn't really kind of take up a real passion for for being in the kitchen and cooking or or food and its effect on performance until I got to college and that's kind of when I discovered nutrition as being more than just like liking the taste of food you know I was always a great eater I always loved food I was named kind of the garbage disposal in high school because I would eat whatever <laughs> my friends wouldn't um but and so like I loved food um but I didn't really find kind of that deeper passion for it until college. Interesting. And that's a, that's a good segue into my next question. You played soccer in college, right? At Seattle Pacific. Yeah. Did you, did you enjoy your time playing on the team? Um, to be honest, not really. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I, I started playing soccer when I was three and it was, you know, eat, breathe, sleep. It was everything that I was. Um, I, you know, was, it was so, so much a part of my identity. Um, I was always this, you know, fierce competitor. Um, you know, it taught me a ton being playing, you know, playing soccer as long as I did. And But then I went to college and it was just this very stark contrast to any team that I had been on. Um, the vibe was different. Like, I didn't really fit in with the team and like some of the some of the morals of the team and just kind of my, my class and my teammates. I kind of felt like an outcast and um, I didn't jive with the coach really and uh, ended up with an injury that kind of made me step back and think, okay, you know, what what do I want to do? Where do I want to take this? 
um, and uh, actually ended up switching to, to track and cross country. You know, I had taken up it was the first time I ever really started running was in college. You know, on our off day from soccer training, I'd go out with a couple of the girls on the team for an easy run on a Sunday and started out as, you know, three miles and four miles and kind of increased my mileage and uh, really found a love for running. Um, and so, yeah, made the switch um, and ended up being, I mean, I think one of the most incredible decisions of my life, definitely one of the hardest going from, you know, having my identity be in soccer to letting that go um, was something that I had to really wrestle with and it was right. really, really challenging. Um, and I'd also never quit anything in my life. Um, and so I felt very much like a failure and a quitter and, but the, I mean, so quickly all like my soccer self seemed so far removed. I just immediately was, um, infatuated with and in love with running and the team was so much more, uh, loving and, and welcoming. And I just immediately felt part of something bigger and, felt loved for who I was. Uh, and so I think both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like it was just such a better situation for me. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of one of those situations in life where a door closes in your face and you kind of feel very, yeah, stuck and overwhelmed and down and, um, just kind of one of those examples of, you know, finding the window that that's open next to that door and, kind of jumping through it even though you don't really know what's on the other side right um so yeah yeah that, that's great so did it take you a while before you eventually decided to switch to the the track team like were you having a lot of second thoughts or were you pretty did you make this, the decision pretty quickly yeah it, it was pretty immediate i i'd and started enjoying running enough that uh i kind of had car had kind of already decided that even if I would have played through my senior season. So I essentially, I left the soccer team after my junior fall season. And okay. a couple of the the seniors who had gone before me had, after their senior fall season had ended, had just run one winter season and one spring season of track. And I had started getting into running enough and had always been kind of that, that one on the team who loved fitness testing and, and things like that. And so it's like, you know what, I think I might, I think I might do that my senior year. And so I, you know, uh, left the soccer team, yeah, fall, uh, so essentially, you know, November of my junior year and pretty much, you know, sent an email to the the coach uh, on the track and cross country team. And they sent me their, you know, winter training package. So I started doing my, like running on my own when I was home in Utah for the winter and came back in winter quarter and started running a uh, track. So it was a very quick transition. Um, and, um, and yeah, like I said, it was kind of just this immediate, um, just sense of, yeah, being at home. Mm -hmm. And when was the moment in college where you found your interest in nutrition and how that kind of impacts performance? It was definitely as a collegiate athlete, you know, I had gone, I actually, <laughs> I went to Seattle Pacific university on a soccer scholarship intending to study physical therapy. And I graduated with a couple degrees in nutrition um, as well as exercise science with, uh, you know, running track and cross country. So definitely a switch. Um, but I really started kind of connecting nutrition and performance uh, when I was in college. And 
I had always been really interested by the body. Um, I always knew I wanted to pursue a health career in something that had to do with exercise and health and biomechanics and, and just was fascinated by science. Um, and so I was taking some undergrad classes for kind of in the intention of studying physical therapy, but at SPU, they don't have a physical therapy major. So essentially you major in uh, human biology and then minor in exercise science and then go on to study physical therapy. And just as I was starting my college career, they had changed uh, physical therapy to be a mandatory PhD. And I was taking classes and kind of thinking about it. And um, I had spent quite a bit of time as a, as a youth athlete in the physical therapy clinic back home and even actually started working there as a 16 year old is one of, you know, one of my first jobs and saw kind of just, it wasn't, it wasn't quite what I thought it would be in terms of, you know, the, the job. And so started questioning, well, you know, do I want to do physical therapy? And, you know, if I, if I do wait, you know, I'm going to graduate with this degree in human biology and what jobs are going to be really available to me out of college. So to talk to my advisor and kind of started exploring options and, you know, she encouraged me to take one of the nutrition classes. Uh, and, um, you know, as we had someone talk to us about nutrition when we came in as, as freshmen on the soccer team, and I won't say that it was, you know, thorough or all encompassing, but kind of just put that, uh, that seed in my head, I guess. And I started mm -hmm. kind of noticing the difference between how I felt, you know, eating one thing versus another and, and things like that. And, so I took one nutrition class and I was sold. Um, it was food science, uh, so it wasn't even necessarily related to performance, but it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a total science nerd. And so essentially spending time in the food lab, um, understanding the science behind, you know, food reactions. And we cooked, we had a cookbook and so we cooked every week and, but it was, you know, there was a very scientific element to it. Um, and yeah, I fell in love with it. So I, I switched my majors and ended up graduating with a triple degree in uh, dietetics, uh, which is essentially the degree that you need to go on as a dietitian. And then I also got a degree in sports and exercise nutrition and uh, exercise science. Got it. Got it. And so where do you end up, uh, where do you start working after graduation? So with, um, with nutrition, like if you, to be a dietitian, generally the process is you have to get your undergraduate degree in dietetics uh, and, you know, four-year degree. And then during your senior year, you essentially apply to this matching program to get matched with a dietetic internship. Okay. It's a, it's a supervised practice, and it's anywhere from nine to 12 months. Um, and so it's just, you know, a long process of you applying to these programs, and then there's this big, you know, match day where you have to submit your top, you know, so many choices, and then all of the the programs get their applicants and they, you know, write down their top however many applicants and then it is this match. And so I ended up in, ironically, this is kind of one of those first times where I realized I really needed the mountains in my life. Uh, I ended up in Illinois, um, which was my first choice for programs. Um, I had decided that I really wanted to go to a program. One, the program was incredible. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I chose it was they had this uh, essentially three-month um, block at the end of the internship that was completely your choice and it was really hard to find any internship at that time that had any sport focus like sport nutrition really wasn't a thing when I graduated from college it was very very small 
And so there was just no program with a real emphasis in it. But with this program, I kind of had that opportunity to create my own. And so, um, so that's really one of the things that drew me to the program. And I also kind of decided that I wanted to go somewhere where I would never go otherwise that, you know, would kind of push me out of my box and expose me to something new and different. And Illinois was definitely new and different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in yeah the middle of Illinois in Peoria and spent a year there, uh, finished my dietetic internship, um, graduated. And then upon completion of your internship, you sit for the exam and you have you know time to study, but you apply and, and sit for the exam. And then if you pass the exam, you essentially become a registered dietitian. And then Got after it. that, you just have to, you know, maintain continuing education and uh, renew your license every seven years and things like that. So. Got it. Okay. And what was the environment like where you were in, in Illinois? Were you in a, like a big city or were you like in like no, the, the countryside uh, and, yeah, and like yeah, rolling fields yeah. and all of that? <laughs> there was nothing rolling. It was flat okay. fields. Flat fields. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so I was in the middle of Illinois in this town called Peoria and essentially Peoria is the home of a giant medical center, Caterpillar, um, the, um, you know, construction, you know. Caterpillar. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, yep. So it's the home of Caterpillar, a medical system. And then they have Bradley College there, which is, uh, um, they've got actually a very decent running program. Um, but uh, so very small town. Um, culture completely different than anything I had grown up with. I remember the first time I tried using a reusable grocery bag you know this is after living in utah and then living in seattle for four years which is like the epitome of like green hippies yeah <laughs> i i moved to central illinois and i tried using a reusable grocery bag and they had never seen one they like didn't know what to do with it uh, wow they were very very confused about why i had brought in my own bag and um so the culture was very very different um you know kind of a food desert lots of fast food right um you know tons of you know morbid obesity and, and chronic health issues um and then yeah flat and, and no mountains um very cold damp in the, in the winter and and hot and humid in the summer um so it, it definitely tested my my sense of resilience um but you know really kind of showed me those things that i do value and that i do need in my life um to kind of thrive in and be happy and um but pretty much the day of graduation, I had my car packed up, and I, uh, from the graduation ceremony, I, I drove back across the country because uh, I was I was ready for some mountain time again. <laughs> yeah, right. And shifting gears here a little, what what yeah. would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions around sports and performance nutrition? I think I mean one of the biggest ones is that there is kind of this one size fits all secret um, or you know the idea of uh, you know a quick fix or even that you know I think one thing that I I really really push with my athletes is what I call periodized nutrition and it's this idea of that you know when I when I talk to an athlete I say you know you don't do the exact same training 365 days a year but how many of us you know our nutrition looks pretty dang similar most days of the year, you know, season to season, day to day, you know, we might circulate through a couple breakfasts, a couple lunches, a couple dinners, but we're creatures of habit when it comes to nutrition. But mm-hmm. you're, with your training, your, your seasons change, the demands of your training changes, the goals of your training is changing. And so your nutrition really needs to cater to that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that would necessarily be a misconception, but kind of a, um, a missing piece to um, a lot of athletes' nutrition is just kind of this lack of 
of periodization um, and changing your nutrition based on kind of the, the changes in their training. Um, so I, yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably one of the, one of the biggest ones. Interesting. Yeah. And I was going to follow, follow that up with kind of the, the differences between how say a CrossFit athlete should approach nutrition versus uh, an ultra distance runner. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's actually, you know, yeah, segues very, very well, but it's, it's really, it's all about essentially what we call, you know, fueling for the work required. And so what that means is recognizing what adaptations you're looking for. Um, what is the goal of, of the current training session or the current training block or season that you're in? Um, and so there might actually be times where a CrossFit athlete and an ultra distance runner might actually have very similar nutrition, you know, approaches and plans because the goals of their session might be the same. You know, if you look at uh, maybe on a day when an ultra distance runner is doing some more, you know, explosive work um, to help with some of the, the hill climbing. Um, and so, you know, we definitely do have these nuances where if you look kind of large scale, so total calories, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, um, knowing that an ultra distance runner is going to need, you know, probably, you know, higher carbohydrate intake for, you know, the glycogen storage and, um, you know, overall what their protein needs are going to look like and their fat needs. And, and then, you know, on the flip side, how that differs for a CrossFit athlete, athlete not needing as much, you know, necessarily daily carbohydrate on a mass scale, but knowing that if I've got a really, really intense explosive lifting session, I've still got to feed with carbo, like I've got to fuel with carbohydrate, right. feed with carbohydrate, because that's that explosive energy that, that they need. And so um, it really is kind of looking at, at nutrition on this micro scale and like a meal by meal, day by day basis um, with, yes, kind of that, that bigger macro scale picture of, okay, yes, I'm an endurance athlete. So my overarching needs are this, but then still kind of fine tuning it to that meal by meal, day by day approach where you are really thinking about, okay, like what, what is the goal of this session? Am I looking for fitness adaptation, increased lactate threshold or VO2 max? Is it supposed to be a low intensity kind of fat burning session? You know, what, what is the goal of the session and how should I kind of feed that session to help me adapt in that way? Interesting. And what about common nutrition mistakes that you tend to see when you're working with endurance athletes? Is it kind of when they're thinking about uh, that there might be this one kind of quick fix or this is one kind of staple diet they think kind yeah, of works? I think, I think that um, under fueling, um, is I think a, a big component of it, um, especially if their goal is body composition change. You know, a lot of us immediately think, oh, cut calories. Um, and so I think you know, underfueling is a big one or, you know, not being strategic about where you're kind of putting those low, low fuel, you know, low fuel times. Um, following trends and fads uh, is mm -hmm. definitely another big one, um, you know, tapping kind of the latest and greatest and uh, you know, there is so much information out there, whether it's, you know, keto and, you know, fat adaptation and paleo and gluten-free and vegan. And it's like, you know, we're nowhere, you know, our problem is not a lack of information. It's that there's too much incorrect information. And it's so hard for athletes to be able to wade through the mass and, and be able to differentiate between what is actually legit and what is not. Um, and so I think that's another, another big one is, um, you know, potentially 
jumping onto kind of one of those bandwagons. Um, and uh, yeah, um, we'll probably say that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of another, another big one. Yeah. And you mentioned in your bio that you don't believe in diets, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of around that nutrition kind of needing to be so individualized and then there, there, there just isn't this kind of one size fits yeah. all approach. Yeah. And generally diets, you know, someone goes on a diet, generally they're, they're too restrictive. Um, and so they can actually end up, you know, causing more harm than good when it comes to our resting metabolic rate and our just like baseline, you know, metabolic activity. Um, someone goes on, they might not be cutting calories the right way. So they could be hurting, you know, potential, like I said, uh, like gains of lean muscle mass, stimulation of that resting metabolism. So they're going to lower their metabolic rate too low and then end up gaining more weight back after. Um, they're also generally kind of short term. Um, whereas I really, you know, encourage, you know, yes, there is this periodization and knowing that you're, we're going to change your nutrition from block to block and day to day and stuff. But for the most part, like you should be eating in a way that you could do for the rest of your life. Um, you know, you should enjoy it. Uh, you shouldn't feel deprived or restricted. You know, they shouldn't have this like end date where you're so thankful to just like be over the hump and, you know, finally be able to eat what you want again. Because that's, you know, that that's not sustainable and that doesn't necessarily lead to improved performance or longevity. Um, you know, this kind of short-term diet mentality, you know, and kind of nutrition looks different for everybody. So some people, you know, thrive on, uh, on a vegan diet or a plant-based diet. Other people don't. Um, some people, you know, need to go more high protein, more fat. Other people can't do it. And so there's also this recognition that, you know, there isn't one perfect diet or one best way of eating. It's finding what works for you and being flexible knowing that that also might change. Right. And, um, it seems that there are a lot of benefits for someone to go, to go plant-based, but what are the, the main reasons why a plant-based diet might not be best for an athlete? Um, really none, <laughs> Okay. Um, but, but I, I definitely see that with a grain of salt. Um, so, you know, athletes go plant-based and recovery is definitely one of the, one of the biggest benefits that people notice right away is how fast they recover. But I talk to my, my plant-based athletes, whether it's they already are plant-based or they have an interest in it, is I let them know that it is going to take more work, um, especially up front. And you have to understand that and dedicate yourself to being a little more detailed and detail-oriented and taking more time up front because, you know, the average sedentary adult can get away on with like a crappy vegetarian or plant-based or, or vegan diet for the most part, you know, not guessing necessarily meeting all of their needs or using a lot of, you know, processed plant foods and, um, you know, I mean, technically you could live on Oreos and Fritos and, and be vegan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, but as an athlete, like you can't, you're demanding more of your body. So that fuel that you put in has got to be higher quality. And so there are some things that, you know, even you pick up, you know, you type Google into Google plant-based diets for, for athletes. Um, and with the exception of the articles that I've written, I would say that most of the articles that are out there, books, you know, things in, in trail runner or triathlete or, you know, anything you're going to find out there talks about kind of the biggest principles of, you know, proteins and, and you know, fats and, you know, different things like this. But there are some little nuances of performing on a plant-based diet that are very, very rarely discussed. Um, just kind of some of the, some of the specific amino acids um, that are critical for 
athletic performance and that can be really missed um, if you don't know what plant foods to find them in. Um, and so uh, I would say that if someone is willing to put in the time and just take the time to be educated about how to meet their needs as an endurance athlete on a plant-based diet, there is no reason why it why it would not be a good choice. Again, some people just, they can't do it. Um, you know, we are learning more and more about the role of genetics in nutrition. And so some people just, they, they don't, they can't do whether it's iron levels, you know, even if they supplement or hit high iron plant foods or, you know, one reason or another, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so recognizing that some people just genetically um, might not feel 100% on a plant-based diet. But if you do it well, um, and if, if it's something that you enjoy, uh, and fits with your lifestyle, then there's really no reason not to do it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And I've had an interest in, uh, plant-based eating for a little while now. Uh, what sparked it was actually from a digestive standpoint, actually for me, rather than performance, I found that, um, I'm not completely plant-based by any means, but transitioning more towards a plant-based diet just seems to, I don't know, fit better with my digestion. Uh, is in kind of the way to approach moving towards a plant-based diet to be more kind of slow with it. I would imagine, I feel like if, if someone like, especially like an, like an athlete of any kind, if they were to make a pretty dramatic switch to something like that, they might feel like really tired and fatigued for maybe a few days or, or like a week. Is that right? For the most part, um, you know, some people do great with, you know, just cold Turkey shifts. But especially when you do think about at a digestive standpoint, if you go from, you know, just a normal like omnivorous diet where you're taking in meat, the fact that now all the protein that you are going to be eating is also going to have fiber. Um, you're going to be eating more plants just because the energy density is, is lower in plant foods um, for the most part because it's got because of the fiber content. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you've got a lot more fiber in your system, um, which can cause a lot of GI issues, um, for, for runners, um, uh, specifically, um, but really, you know, really anybody. So you look at things like the increased fiber content, um, how carb loading might look different on a plant, plant plant-based diet. Um, and then things like just energy again, because, you know, there's so much fiber in a plant-based diet, you may actually not be taking in enough energy anymore because, you know, the, the volume and the fiber is very filling. And so it's hard to meet really high calorie needs on a plant-based diet if you're not really intentional about getting in those fats and oils and things like that that are calorie dense but lower in fiber. So you can have, you know, energy um, can be overall, um, you know, can definitely be a, a problem. Um, so there, you know, there are definitely, definitely kind of little little issues that can come up if you kind of make that make that big cold turkey switch. Um, mm-hmm. especially, like I said, without kind of knowing how to meet your needs now that you're, you're excluding animal products. Right. Interesting. What are your thoughts on impossible burgers? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm a bigger fan of beyond burgers than I am impossible burgers. Um, really okay. because, uh, what's the, what's the difference? So beyond burgers use, uh, like a pea protein, um, and impossible burgers use soy protein. Okay. Um, and I'm not bad mouthing soy, um, but I am going to bad mouth processed soy. And so right. there's a lot of research that shows the benefits of consuming whole, like whole soy foods. Um, you know, we're looking at tempeh, miso, um, you know, things like that. Yeah, you know, sprouted tofu. 
but when you see all these like soy protein isolates and soy flours and soy milks and um that's where a lot of kind of the 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 bad uh, name of soy kind of comes from and they are they they are there's another processed food um and so it's it's hard to kind of compare something like an impossible burger you know to a, a beef burger because i would argue you know if you are getting a good quality grass-fed beef burger that's 100 percent grass-fed beef um that is a whole food whereas an impossible burger is soy protein it's potato protein it's coconut oil and sunflower oil they've got binders in there like methyl cellulose and food starch and so it's you're not comparing apples to apples anymore mm-hmm. um and so i think it's also you know talking to my athletes about just because something is made from plants it doesn't mean that it's automatically healthy um you know i wouldn't say a, a soy-based hot dog is any better than a pork-based hot dog um they're both processed high salt <laughs> you know foods mm-hmm. and you know definitely like i said you know i definitely believe that you know you know all food fits in into the diet i, I believe in balance you know i I support, you know, enjoying, you know, I am one, everybody, all my clients, you know, teammates know that I love an old fashioned donut or like a good breakfast pastry. Uh, And so, you know, those things definitely fit into the diet. I'm not saying you can't ever consume processed foods, but also knowing that, again, just because something comes from plants, it doesn't automatically mean that it's, it's going to be a healthier choice. You know, it still could be very inflammatory. Um, And so... Yeah, it's kind of knowing, kind of comparing apples to apples. And if you're thinking about, you know, a burger that's, you know, made of, you know, more real foods and it's like looking at one of those ones, it's more just got a simple ingredient list, like where you look at the ingredients and say, okay, yeah, like I would eat each of those ingredients by itself as a food Um, Mm -hmm. versus, yeah, some of those things where it's got, you know, long words that you can't pronounce and abbreviations and things like that. Um, But also like, you know, the Impossible Burgers, they're juicy, they taste good, they're made to kind of give that umami, you know, meat sensation. And so it's, yeah, it's it's not necessarily, it's one of those things where I would actually, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily healthier for you than, you know, a, a good grass-fed, you know, beef burger. But sometimes, like, you're not looking for something healthy, you just want something that, you know, tastes good and, and satisfies your cravings. Um, so it's just kind of knowing, um, yeah, knowing that just because it's made by plants, it's not necessarily going to be healthy right right and what are your thoughts on the like occasional slice of pie or cup of ice cream during training for an endurance event oh 100 percent. again you know it's you've got to eat in a way that is you know is enjoyable food is meant to be enjoyed so you have to find a, a lifestyle of, of, of eating that that makes you happy um and you know we know that one bad meal is not going to make you fat um, just like one good meal doesn't make you healthy. Like I can't eat, you know, mm-hmm. a salad or, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden be like, okay, good for the rest of my life. Um, and the same thing goes with, you know, pie or ice cream or whatever it is. It's, um, you know, one indulgence is, is fine. No, you shouldn't subsist on, you know, pie and ice cream and, you know, chips and, and, and things like that, but they have a place. Um, and also too, you know, depending on what your goals are in terms of training, like sometimes, you need to you need to fit those in to meet some high calorie needs or or whatever it is, um, you know. And it's also you know knowing that I've got you know I've had some some of my athletes who definitely have a sweet tooth, but they're looking at you know changing body composition, maybe dropping some body fat, and so you know they're really having a hard time getting away from having dessert at night. And we do know that you know if 
if you eat dessert at night, um, you know, you're sedentary after the dessert, you're just going to you go to sleep. So those extra calories are more likely to essentially be kind of become body fat, um, go as mm-hmm. unused energy source. Um, and so I'll have a lot of my athletes, um, you know, I tell them like, eat like a sin, like a sinner on a bike, a saint at the dinner table. Um, and so maybe it's, you know, having a cookie on their ride or it's, you know, for their recovery meal after, after a long run, like it's enjoying, you know, something that is very dessert like and indulgent, um, or something that's, you know, really savory, um, to kind of, cause that's their body's burning through the calories. Like that's when, if their body composition goals are to drop fat, like their body's not going to be as negatively impacted by those high energy dense calories right after a hard exercise session as they would be at the end of the day sitting on the couch. Interesting. So, so timing is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then also, yeah, like I said, you know, not being, you know, remembering that, you know, if you want to go out, obviously non stay at home quarantine orders, but <laughs> you know, if you're out at a, at a restaurant and you know, or a friend says, Hey, let's go get ice cream or you really enjoy the, the dessert at a certain restaurant or you're at the movies and you want popcorn. Like, again, as long as it's not like a constant, like, excess intake of just high energy dense nutri- poor nutrient foods you know that's there's there's nothing wrong with um yeah and enjoying uh enjoying the taste of food and and uh indulging in things that that are a bit um you know off limits as many kind of diet websites would say mm-hmm. yeah right uh there seems to also be a lot of conflicting information out there around when and if you should be consuming protein shakes during training or after a workout yeah do you find the use of post-workout protein shakes beneficial, uh, I guess, one? And two, does it depend on the intensity or duration of the workout for kind of whether or not a protein shake is needed? Um. So, I mean, protein shake or no, no protein shake, when we're looking at recovery, it's just about the protein. So, you know, you're looking at hitting your leucine threshold. So leucine is one of the branched chain amino acids and um, kind of from, from what we know is the most important amino acid to uh, stimulate essentially uh, pr- muscle protein synthesis. So really immediately start, uh, start enabling those muscles to recover and grow and rebuild. Um, and so this leucine threshold um, is, you know, two and a half to, to three grams of leucine in this recovery meal. Um, that can come from a powder or it can come from real food. Um, you know, it's shakes are great because they're portable they're shelf stable they're convenient they're easy um but it doesn't have to be a shake um you know it really is about getting getting that protein in getting it in quickly getting a high quality source um hitting that leucine threshold and then where that comes from is is less less of the um kind of less of the issue um the reason that i do you know would encourage athletes to, to find a protein shake that they like and why I have some that, that, you know, that I like is because they are easy. You know, if I'm finishing a training session away from home and I, you know, I want to be intentional about my recovery and get that recovery process started as soon as I, as soon as possible, you know, throw in some, some high quality protein powder into, uh, into a, you know, a shaker bottle, um, is a great way to start that recovery process rather than the athlete okay. not eating at all. Um, or, you know, having to stop at a gas station and, and getting something that isn't I- ideal for recovery. So if, if recovery is the goal, then, um, you know, protein shakes have a time and a place. Um, but also recognizing that there is a lot of value in real food. Um, so again, kind of knowing, knowing what function it's supposed to serve. And, um, I also find that 
for plant-based athletes with really high protein needs. Uh, a plant-based protein powder, again, that's high quality, um, it's, you know, got the right, right types of uh, plant proteins in, can really help them meet their protein needs. Again, just because, you know, plant foods are generally lower in fiber per like 100 calories or, or 100 grams, um, or sorry, lower in protein. Um, and so sometimes it can be hard for plant-based athletes to really get get those protein needs in. So, you know, making a smoothie with, you know, a good plant-based protein powder or something like that. Interesting. Okay. Um, and I actually use plant-based uh, uh, protein. Um, do you know Vega? That yeah, brand? Do, yep. Yeah. Is that a, is that a good, good brand? <laughs> I know yeah, there's yeah, loose. For the most part, um, yeah. yeah. So Brendan Brazier is, is uh, he's the guy who started it. Um, very, uh, very impressive guy. Very cool guy. Um, but and the nice thing about uh, Vega is one, they do have a couple of their their products are NSF certified, which essentially means that they're batch tested, certified to be clean, no contamination of you know un- undeclared ingredients, um, and so it's nice because professional athletes and college athletes can use them without uh, being concerned about that cross contamination. Um, right. And then they do also have their sport version. The Vega Sport actually has the right amount of leucine for you to hit that leucine threshold, mm-hmm. um, whereas not all plant proteins will. Um, so yeah, Vega's Vega's a great one. I see. Cool. <laughs> uh, are you plant based? Um. Yeah, I am. For I mean, for the most part, um, I have you know my I have fluctuated um, pretty much since I went plant based in two thousand and thirteen you know, from complete vegan, uh, even raw vegan for a little while, um, eggs, no eggs, dairy, no dairy, fish, no fish, mm-hmm. um, just kind of listening to, to what my, my body needs. Um, and then also kind of depending on, you know, what my life situation is like. Um, but I am mostly plant-based. Yeah. I, uh, um, being in Seattle, I do, uh, enjoy, um, some right now anyway. Um, my body's like in the, the wild, the uh, wild salmon. Um, so I'll include, I'll include some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, for the most part, um, I, I prefer, uh, prefer plants. I mean, plant-based is one of those things where, um, to me, the term plant-based means that your diet is mostly based on plants, but it seems to have also taken on this essentially just synonym for vegan um which i i don't necessarily like i think you know vegan is is vegan and and then like plant-based is just there's a big spectrum um so i would say you know i wouldn't i'm not vegan currently um uh but i do base most most of my diet around plants got it and was the inspiration for that just kind of experimenting what works best with uh or or for your body rather than kind of uh, I don't know, for some people it might be like saving the animals type approach. It was more kind of, kind of what felt good for you yeah. at the time. Yeah. Does that make sense? I just, I had this, I was living in Illinois and I just kind of had this realization that I would go weeks at a time without eating meat. And the, like all of a sudden the thought of meat in my mouth sounded kind of gross and weird. And being someone who grew up very, you know, an envir- environmentally friendly household, I was like, well, I'm just going to, stop eating meat. You know, I didn't have a ton of money at the time. And so it was cheaper. Um, and so I'm just going to stop eating meat. Um, it's better for the planet. And then if I feel like my body's missing out, I'll start eating meat again. Um, and you know, ironically then kind of that led to all of a sudden dairy sounding really weird and eggs sounding really weird. So I pretty Mm -hmm. quickly went vegan. Um, and then, yeah, from kind of that point on it's, it's, yeah, I've been just, yeah, listening to kind of what my body is craving and needing and, 
Um, you know, if I do consume animal products, um, whether it's eggs or, or salmon, it's, you know, it's local eggs from, you know, from, from a local farm, it's, it's fresh caught, you know, wild, wild salmon. It's, um, so I do kind of have that environmental component. Um, you know, I want stuff that's sustainably fished. Um, right. So there, there's that component, but you know, that is, you know, one of the things that I'll ask a client if they do say that they're plant-based or they want to be plant-based or vegan is I ask them why. Uh, because not as a kind of an intrusive question, but because that's also going to impact which plant foods they eat. Cause you know, if they're really in, they want to adopt a plant-based diet for environmental health, then having like non-dairy milks, like almond milk, um, is not going to be something that they want to do because all, like the process of almond milk is extremely environmentally taxing. And so helping them understand that, you know, there's you know other plant milks that tax the environment less um and so a lot of it really does come down to you know why what are the roots behind why you're you're wanting to adopt this plant-based or vegan diet and then how can you eat in a way that's going to support those uh those ethics and morals interesting i I didn't realize that about almond milk so is something like uh oat milk less taxing yeah oat milk um uh, oat milk is, uh, coconut, is, coconut milk is to a slight extent, but yeah, oat milk is great. Hemp milk is, is another one. Um, so, so yeah, um, oh yeah, like oat, mm-hmm. coconut, uh, and hemp are, um, kind of some of the better ones when you look at an environmental standpoint. Um, and generally I, you know, I discourage people, I shouldn't say discourage, but uh, like soy milk, you know, it's kind of a processed, uh, processed soy food. So I'll, I'll generally discourage a, a soy, soy milk. Um, and then rice milk is just kind of devoid of, um, nutrients, um, and very kind of bland and flavorless. And so when you're looking at something like milks that come from the nuts or seeds, you know, they might have some really great omega-3 sources in, um, some healthy fats if you're, you know, doing some coconut milk, um, whereas rice milk is, um, kind of just cloudy water. <laughs> right so um so yeah so it's yeah it's also yeah kind of knowing that um yeah not again kind of like i said earlier like not all plant foods are created equal and it's kind of understanding well you know what why are you choosing this lifestyle and how can you eat in a way to support that right in your experience have you seen a lot of people tr- that try to out exercise bad diets <laughs> that's why i have a job <laughs> <laughs> yes yes mm-hmm. um you know, not everybody, but um, most definitely. Um, and, you know, it is a, and, you know, like I said, it's a big part of helping them understand, you know, the timing of things and, and things like that. But I think, I think as people get older, they realize that that is something that they can't do quite as well. Um, you know, some people do have the genetic lottery where they can kind of eat whatever. You know, I've worked with some professional and Olympic level athletes who, come to me with absolutely terrible, terrible nutrition. And it's just like, man, how are you performing at this level <laughs> with this kind of nutrition? Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, there, there's definitely, um, kind of that mentality of, oh, you know, I, I run, you know, I run a hundred, I race hundreds of miles. Like I can eat whatever I want. I just need to feed the tank. Um, and yes, you know, you do need to get in those, those calories, but, and, you know, people will say, oh, I've, never had any issues with, you know, health before or body composition or energy or recovery. And it's like, okay, so what, think of just how much better you might be off if you, you know, decrease the inflammation that, that, you know, you were putting in your body. Um, no, you might not, you know, experience, you know, really feel how, 
how much that food is impacting you now. But what if you what if you did improve a few things? You know, how much better could you possibly feel? Right, right. One of the nutrition services that you offer at Prime, which I found interesting, is the grocery store game plan, this yeah. personalized shopping trip. Yeah. Uh, walk me through what's involved in kind of that service and why you decide to offer it. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it really comes down to the why in terms of like everybody buys food. I mean, that, that I mean that's that's kind of the seed. And so it's like, well, if I can at least give someone the education of how to navigate the grocery store, how to understand all those misleading food labels, like what to look for on a label and what to what to ignore, um, the ingredient list versus the nutrition facts, um, you know, how to go through a produce section and be able to pick out, you know, something that's ripe or unripe, um, food storage tips to reduce food waste, uh, food prep tips to minim- minimize time. Um, you know, so many of us, myself included, you know, growing up, we bought the exact same, you know, my car, or my mom's car was probably the same. Um, sorry no worries uh, my my mom's cart was probably the same you know pretty much 365 days a year um you know we bought the same vegetables the same dairy products the same meats because we knew what we liked and you know it was easy and she was familiar with it but you know there's the seasonality component knowing that you can save money by you know shopping in season and you know it supports local agriculture um so things like that and helping people get out of their bubble um, and explore, you know, new options. Um, the, you know, the misconception that you should only shop on the perimeter. Um, well, I also make note that the bakery is always on the perimeter. Um, and like a lot <laughs> of the good, like canned beans or like the bulk section or canned, like canned fish or some like frozen options, like those are on the aisles and those are great options. So really like the, the why is because it's that education piece of, you know, everybody has to buy food. And so if I can have one immediate way to impact someone's nutrition, then that's it. Like, you know, that's, you know, if they, if they can only afford, you know, one service with me, they're going to get more out of that than they would out of one single, like one time nutrition Q and a, um, which would be about the same price. Um, so it's kind of that whole, you know, if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you know, you feed him for his life. It's, it's that kind of idea of, you know, providing those tools and and that education of being able to, um, yeah, really kind of benefit long-term rather than just kind of a very acute short-term kind of snapshot of, um, let me sit down with you once and ask you questions. It's okay. Let's, let's teach you how to actually feed yourself and your family, um, from a kind of ground up standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I think it's super, super smart and a, a really effective way to kind of actually apply all the, I don't know, I guess your knowledge for for someone rather than like you said the the Q and A session and okay they they kind of wrote down or whatever typed up all that you the notes that you said or or whatever and then they go to the the grocery store and they're kind of lost so I think it, I think it's super cool that you're offering this sort of personalized shopping trip. Yeah, it's, and it is. It's one of those things where everybody scoffs at it initially. They kind of laugh like, oh, like I don't need a grocery store tour. Like, what am I, five? <laughs> um, but pretty much anybody who has then ended up doing it with me is so thankful that they did. Um, because there is, like, it's overwhelming. I mean, protein bars have their whole aisle. Like, it's just, it's noise. Um, and there's, yeah, so it's, uh, it's yeah, I think probably the, the least utilized service that I offer 
but probably one of the most impactful. Mm-hmm. How would you, how would you describe your overall philosophy around nutrition and performance if you kind of had to say it in a I guess concise exactly yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would say personalized, uh, period, periodized, practical, um, are, you know, passionate, um, are, are kind of some of the things, again, it's like, it's, uh, it does need to be about you. It needs to be about what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, what makes sense for your life and your, your situation financially, um, from a time boy, time point standpoint. So it's, you know, it's personalized a hundred percent, um, knowing that it's not, no, there's no one size fits all. There's not a magic pill. There's not a cookie cutter diet. Um, and uh, then periodize, like I've talked about, especially for athletes, uh, periodizing your nutrition is absolutely crucial um, to really optimize not only performance, but overall health. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and yeah, just, I mean, kind of that idea of food is, yes, fuel, um, but it's also meant to be enjoyed in community and it's supposed to taste good and make you happy. And so, this idea of, of balance and, um, you know, getting away from those restrictive diets and kind of eating for a lifetime, um, is probably one of my, my biggest, uh, my biggest ideals as a, as a sports dietitian, um, as dietitian in general, like outside of sport and performance, it's, you know, um, eating in a way that, you know, promotes, promotes longevity. Right. And what does your daily routine look like? Um, and let's let's do pre-pandemic. Okay, I was gonna <laughs> say um, pretty boring. But so pre-pandemic, um, so with most of my job uh, is virtual. So I do you know a virtual nutrition coaching for athletes around the world. So makes me very lucky. Um, you know I live just outside of Seattle, and so pre-COVID, pre-stay-at-home order, I'd usually get up early in the morning, um, and I'd have pretty much my food packed for the day. So. My my breakfast is always a smoothie, um, partly because I love them, um, and I can fit a ton of nutrition into a bottle, Um, and then, uh, and also because they're convenient and easy to kind of eat on the go, eat when when I'm on my laptop or on a call, so I'd have, like, my smoothie made from the night before um, with, you know, protein of choice, um, some some fruit, some veg, a healthy fat source, um, some nut milk in there. And then my lunch. And so I'd get up in the morning, um, do a morning yoga routine, uh, head out the door, drive to the trails, sometimes carpool with a, a girlfriend or sometimes drive out by myself. Um, usually meet uh, either one friend or a group of people for a run, um, anywhere from you know an hour to three or four hours. Uh, and then because of traffic in Seattle, um, I... Driving out early in the morning, I don't deal with traffic, but try, trying to come back in the morning is uh, madness. And so I post mm-hmm. up at a coffee shop um, uh, in one of the, the towns that's kind of on the edge of the mountains, post up there and work all day. Um, and so then usually come home um, mid-afternoon. When I was at the coffee shop, I'd be working on presentations or have client phone calls, things like that, doing some research. And then yeah, I drive home mid-afternoon, come home, uh, spend time with my dog, do more work until my husband got home and uh, make dinner. And uh, yeah, then kind of start start all over the next day. Um, yep. So that was kind of the, the daily grind. <laughs> got it. And bringing this back to the name of the podcast, uh, what's been your driving force throughout your career? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I would probably... You know, I'm I'm competitive by nature. Um, you know, I'm always kind of pushing for 
what's next? Um, you know, I, I've this huge passion for, for teaching and ed- educating, you know, I'm an avid endurance athlete myself. Um, I'm kind of, you know, inquisitive, stubbornly so. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is this kind of selfish pursuit of answers. Like, you know, being competitive and endurance athlete and kind of always wanting to know like what's next, what's better, um, is this kind of, you know, I, in my, in my career, it's so much fun because my passion is also my job. Um, and you know, what I do that lights me up on a daily basis, I get to share that with my clients. And so it's like this process of, you know, me having a question, you know, wanting an answer, getting the answer for, for myself as well, as well as my athletes. Um, so I think that's a big part of it is just that, that kind of competitive pursuit, um, of, of an answer. And then also just the, the joy in terms of a client perspective, you know, the, there's nothing like, you know, having, giving a, having someone come to you with a problem, giving them a recommendation and then having them come back to you just in awe of how much better they feel or how much better they're performing or, or whatever it is, just little, little things like that, that definitely keep me going. Right. And Lastly, before you end here, what a, what advice would you like to leave the people listening who uh, might be looking for the right nutrition plan or uh, method for them, but are fed up with trying all the different diets out there? <laughs> um, talk to a registered sports dietitian <laughs> um, who specializes in sports nutrition. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, you want to look for those credentials. So registered dietitian is going to be RD or RDN. Um, a specialist in sports nutrition is generally going to have a CSSD after their name, which stands for Certified Specialist in Sports Dietetics, um, because you can find someone who, who's, who, who is either a nutritionist, um, which doesn't necessarily mean a lot, um, or just a general dietitian, but they need to know the needs of an athlete. Um, and if you can find someone who actually does your sport, they're going to understand you from a very authentic, very practical, organic level. Um, And there's so much value in being able to know what actually happens on the field or on the trails or on the road or on the bike um, versus just reading it in a textbook and trying to apply the science. So finding a registered dietitian who specializes in sports dietetics and then who also kind of meets your other needs, and that could be your sport, that could be someone who's plant-based, that could be someone who works with eating disorders, uh, food allergies, um, but taking the time to find someone who, uh, who, who's really going to meet kind of all, all of your needs. Awesome. Uh, Heidi, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, this is great. I yeah. really appreciate it. No, this was uh, awesome. I'm really glad you reached out. Uh, where can people go if they want to contact you and learn more about the different nutrition services that you offer? Yeah, so I'm a couple different places. You can find me on Instagram um, at hkstrickler uh, underscore sportsrd. Uh, and from my link tree there, you can access my uh, my website. Um, you can also go to primebellingham.com, which is a clinic that I work in, uh, work in locally. Um, I'm also on Gritlink, which is a, an online platform for endurance athletes. And that's G-R-I-T-L-I-N-K. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a provider for them. So... Uh, there's also my email, which you can uh, which you can easily find in my Instagram or any of those websites. So, awesome, and you all can also visit my website chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Thanks everyone who's listening, and see you next time.